Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, it's Erin Carey, and today we are going to be discussing all things body image and your relationship with food. And I I can't wait to get started. I'm sitting here with Holly Toronto. Holly is a certified master level coach through Health Coach Institute and has four years of experience helping highly driven women stop dieting and build resilience to toxic beauty messages. She uses an intuitive and spiritual approach that guides her clients towards self-trust, confidence, and sovereignty over their entire being body, mind, and soul. So you guys can see how excited, how I'm excited to have her on here. So from this place, her clients are able to make self-guided decisions and finally live the life they desire and the body they live in today. Ooh, I just, I just love that intro itself. So Holly, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Erin. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. This is, this is going to be a good one. So I think before, you know, as we get started, I want to hear a little bit more about your journey with food and dieting, your relationship with food and how that has just kind of changed as you've been a health coach and, and the Mm. transformation you've been on. Mm, Absolutely. So I think, um, in order to fully give that picture, and this actually might be really helpful for listeners to hear, um, I kind of go back, uh, to the beginning where it all started for me because, you know, our relationships to our bodies and understanding where our bodies fit sort of in like the social hierarchies, like that starts around the age of like three years old. Mm. We're starting to become aware of these messages about our bodies and, and sort of like what bodies are good bodies and what bodies are bad bodies and all of those types of things. And so I won't share like the, my full life story, but I am going to go back to the beginning because our relationships to our bodies are so incredibly complicated and are influenced by so many intersecting forces, whether that's Uh, your gender or your race or your sexual orientation or, um, you know, where you grew up, the environments that you grew up in, the communities you are a part of. And so for my, for me specifically, I grew up in uh, the evangelical church and during the the 90s and the early 2000s, during the height of what's called the purity movement. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I see you shaking your head on that one. I'm sure listeners Mm -hmm. are like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so the purity movement, which was intended to, um, to encourage young people and teenagers to save themselves from marriage, marriage, to remain sexually abstinent until marriage, uh, it's starting to come out now that, wow, did that have an incredibly detrimental impact on young people's relationships to their bodies, both from a, a sexuality perspective, as well as how we relate to and care for and nurture our bodies. And so for me, I learned from a very young age that my body was something that couldn't be trusted right? I learned that my body was something that didn't belong to me. It belonged to God. And then one day my future husband. And so all of these messages led me to this place in, you know, my, my adolescence years and teenage years where I was really ashamed of my body. I remember wanting to lose weight around the age of eight years old. I remember going on diets as young as 10 and 12 years old. uh, And that followed me all throughout my my high school years where I just had this sense of like, there's something wrong with my body. 
and I want my body to change. And I'm ashamed of these like very normal, natural desires that I'm having for both sex and pleasure as well as food. Fast forward into, you know, young adulthood. I moved to New York City. I pursued a career in the fashion industry. Interestingly, I chose a very <laughs> image-centric industry. And I started to isolate, uh, not isolate, but sort of deconstruct that narrative within myself around purity culture and, and like these expectations that I needed to remain this pure vessel for my future husband and really started to, to um, kind of heal from that. However, it, that didn't necessarily translate into my relationship to food. So I found myself getting into things like the pure foods movement and the clean food movement and treating it like saying my body is this temple and I must make sure it's clean and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, that really sort of um, came to a head for me when I decided in my late 20s that I was going to take a natural approach to healing my acne, my female, female adult acne that I'd been struggling with for about 10 years at that point. And I started working with a naturopathic doctor and acupuncturist who put me on this very extreme elimination diet overnight. Again, this is not... I'm not here to say like, that's a terrible and bad thing, but there's this other side of elimination diets that people don't really look at and that it can be a trigger for things like orthorexia or stress and anxiety around food, um, morality around food. And that was absolutely the case for me. So I went on this diet that was meant to be extremely short-term, about six weeks, but there was no plan for integration. So I ended up staying on that diet for about a year and a half. And during that time, a few things happened. One being my skin did not clear up. So it did not actually help my skin to be eliminating all of these foods. I developed some pretty severe digestive issues, but with that, I lost a lot of weight. So I started to receive all of the praise, all of the accolades that women in our society get when they're able to lose weight. And that filled something in me. It was like, oh, I've done the good thing, right? I'm like, I, I'm getting all of the praise. Like, yes, I finally did it. My body is good. And I became a health coach because of that. So that was like my initial entry into health coaching was helping people lose weight through these really restrictive means. However, again, something insidious was happening under the surface and that I was constantly stressed and anxious around food. I was the person that was socially isolating, like, oh, I can't go out with my friends because I can't control the food. And all of these other adverse health effects were happening, like my hair was falling out and things like that. And so the turning point happened for me when I was on a trip with my husband, we were in Alaska on a cruise, like just beautiful, beautiful place. And I, I being on a cruise did not anticipate like, oh, I'm going to have access to all of these foods that were previously deemed off limits. And so I found myself being anxious and stressed around food all day on this trip and like forcing myself to work out and like, not and like telling my husband, I would never go on a trip like this ever again, because it was so unhealthy to be in this environment. And, you know, he lovingly had to sit me down and be like, Hey, you know, like something doesn't seem right here. Like you say you're a health coach, but like emotionally, mentally, you don't seem really well right now. And I'm, I'm so grateful that he held up that mirror to me because he was right. Like I, I was looking at health just from this very physical in like what goes in and what comes out perspective versus that full, well-rounded, like mental, emotional, and spiritual health. 
Oh, Holly, that is so good that I have to jump in and pause you real fast because I'm so glad that you mentioned that health is about more than the food you put in your mouth. I can already tell this is going to be such a good conversation. And I'm going to use this opportunity while we're here to thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. Sleep is such an essential part of our health and we don't nearly talk about it enough. A good night's rest can help boost immunity, improve recovery, and increase energy. For me, sleep is the number one tool that I utilize to improve my mental health. I was actually able to visit the Sleep Number store near me recently, and let me tell you, I was blown away by the technology that they use. I was given my Sleep Number, which is how the bed is adjusted to give my body the best rest possible. My Sleep Number, in case you're wondering, is 50, but what's really cool about this technology is that the bed learns my body as I sleep and as I use it and it will adjust to my movement and adjust the pressure points that are individual to my body. So say I pull my back, which I'm not gonna lie, I do once or twice a year, the bed has adjustable features to accommodate me, like even raising my feet up so that it can take the pressure off of my back. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Well, sleepers who routinely use their Sleep Number 360 smart bed features get almost 100 hours more proven quality sleep per year. Sleep IQ data also shows that since March 2020, the Sleep IQ sleepers gained an average of 53 hours of restful sleep compared to last year. A big factor for this was that people could sleep later since they didn't have to commute. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Introducing the new Sleep Number 360 C4 Smart Bed. Queen now, only $1,499. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Go to sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Now, we're talking about your turning point on this trip that you took with your husband. I want to get back to that. How did you get from where you were as a health coach before to where you are now helping women find peace with their relationship to food? So on this trip, I bought, I brought one book with me. It's a book called intuitive eating, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. (laughs) And I saw myself so clearly in that book, what I was creating for myself as well as for potentially my clients. And I, I came back from that trip and I really started to implement these principles into my life. Again, this is like paraphrasing a lot because there was a lot of work that went into it, but that book led me to the body acceptance movement and health at every size and learning how to disconnect my health from my weight, as well as my self-worth from my weight and how liberating that was for me in terms of how I showed up in every area of my life. And yeah, for about four years now, that's, I switched the focus of my practice. And now that's, that's what I help women do is I help them stop dieting and learn how to have a peaceful relationship to their, to their bodies and food so that they can put that energy towards creating a fulfilling life. Yeah. Oh, you said so many things there that I want to like <laughs> dig a little deeper on because it's so good, Yeah. but I, I, I agree. Like I totally relate to so much of what you said, especially when you are talking about the purity movement and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think we, we associate pleasure with spiritual immorality. And so we transfer that to our food and our eating Mm -hmm. to where if we are, you know, really enjoying a food, uh Oh, am I enjoying it too much? Like, Mm -hmm. is, is, is that crossing a line? And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a really hard thing to 
find the line on, you know, for, mm-hmm. for people growing up in that environment. And I, I think that's so powerful that you are sharing that. And I think that's important because I don't think we would have been given fruit and honey and all of these sweet things naturally in nature, if we weren't supposed to have pleasure from food. And, you know, I know, you know, this breast milk is the first Mm -hmm. thing that most people encounter. It is so sweet. It is so Mm -hmm. sweet. And so Mm -hmm. of course there's something about sweetness and enjoying food for pleasure that I, I think that's important to take account for people who are health coaches. Like we can't just say food is only for fuel. So maybe let's dive into that a little bit more. Oh, there's I'm sure you've said, I'm sure you've said that before, right? Like food is just fuel. I'm eating to fuel my body, but it's more than that. Mm. Food is food is so much more than that. Food is it, it's fuel. Absolutely. It's nourishment. It's celebration. It's pleasure. It's it, food is, is so many more things than sort of like mainstream diet culture and health and wellness, um, tell people that it is. And I love that you, you hit on, you know, from a spiritual perspective, we're told like pleasure is bad and sinful and how that translates into how we relate to food, because there's so many parallels between diet culture and purity culture, which we can certainly pull apart for sure. But if we just stick with the pleasure piece of this, you are spot on when you say like, we wouldn't have been given these like naturally occurring sweet foods, right? If we weren't meant to have pleasure and actually pleasure is built into our human evolution, right? So pleasure from sex, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what makes sure that we are like making babies and inheriting the earth. Um, And the same with food. I mean, there's, and I, I, I'm sure we don't want to spend too much time talking about the pandemic, but, you know, for people who have lost their sense of taste and smell with COVID, you know, doctors are actually concerned about the mental health fallout from that because of, of the pleasure that we get from food, both from the foods that we are putting into our mouth and like enjoying, but then also the pleasure of being able to like sit with a friend and have a meal and cook. Like when you don't have your taste and smell, you don't want to do that. And so like, it's so, so um, important for us, for our full nourishment that we experience pleasure with food. But as you mentioned, we are so indoctrinated at this point to think pleasure equals bad, pleasure equals sinful, pleasure equals I'm wrong, I've done something bad. And when in actuality, it's like pleasure is the thing, it's, it's, it's a driving force of life. And when we have a peaceful relationship to food, right, food becomes so much more pleasurable. If you think about, you know, when you do sit down to eat something sweet, whether it's, you know, a donut or eating something like a piece of pizza or something that, you know, is really pleasurable to you, but you have like this story around it, that it's bad, right. That robs you of the experience of actually enjoying the thing. So you're eating the thing, right. But you're actually like, along with that, consuming all of this negativity around the food. And from that place that generally leads us to have uh, a more out of control experience around that thing. Right. So like the mere thought of like, I can't have X, Y, or Z can actually cause us to have erratic behaviors like binging or eating past the point of fullness, because it's like, we're signaling to our, our, our bodies and our brains like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. So our bodies are like, oh, I better get as much as I can because she's going to send me into a famine versus when we know we're allowed to eat that thing and enjoy it with pleasure and satisfaction, it makes it that much easier for us to just enjoy the amount that we're meant to have 
and have pleasure with it and then just move on with our lives, right? We don't end up in this like shame downward spiral with it. So yeah, like pleasure is, is incredibly important when it comes to having a fully nourished and healthy relationship to our body and food. And, and pleasure is helpful in letting us know when we are done eating, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Our taste, but like our bodies are so wise. They know how to like, when we have had enough, taste will actually start to diminish, right? So the food won't taste as good when our bodies are signaling to us that they've had enough. Like that's how much we can trust our bodies, but we've been so taught to outsource that sense of trust to somebody else who's like, oh no, you should only eat that amount of food or, you know, you shouldn't be eating that thing. It's like, oh no, no, our bodies actually know. Our bodies actually will communicate to us when we get out of their way and just really start to trust them. Yeah. I I mean, I, that makes me think of like all the low fat products, right? I don't think that those are satiating because you've taken out that, which is the most pleasurable, which is the fat, you know, and it's also the most filling. And -hmm. I think that that's probably caused a dramatic effect on this dieting mentality that, that we have and just the way we eat and we don't get full. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I see that happen a lot with clients that I've worked with who, you know, let's say they have a craving for a nice, hot, fresh out of the oven chocolate chip cookie with sea salt, right? Like they were like, oh, I just want that so bad. But they're like, that's bad. I can't have that thing. And so what, what do they do? They choose like a Chips Ahoy 100 calorie pack, right? Which is like not as satisfying by any means no. as like that delicious cookie, right? And so what ends up happening is they eat like seven packets and I'm, I'm being, I'm over-exaggerating, here, but they eat a lot of that, um, those, you know, 100 calorie packs. Cause it's like, Oh, it's hundred calories. And then they end up not feeling satisfied from that versus if they had just had the, the cho- chocolate chip cookie, they could have just moved on with their lives. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, that's so I, I've encountered that myself too. And I used to do all of the diet foods and they're just not, they, they just don't hit the spot, you know, like it just no. doesn't work. No. So I think that that's, just finding that satisfaction, that pleasure principle, right. Is so important in that healing journey, but that takes a mindset switch. So how Mm -hmm. do you get to that place where you can mentally say, I'm okay with this kind of eating? Yeah. So there's, there's, um, a couple different ways that we can approach this. I think that we, we can't talk about getting to that place without looking at body image and the fears of around what might happen to your body if you were to allow yourself to eat the foods that are really pleasurable and nourishing. So this is what comes up for my clients all the time. The reason that they go on a diet is because either they want to lose weight or they're terrified of losing the body that they're in, right? So they put themselves into these places of of restriction and cutting out foods and following these prescribed plans uh, that end up disconnecting them from what their bodies want and need. And actually in the long run, diets fail 95 to 98% of the time. And two thirds of dieters end up gaining back more weight than when they started. So dieting disproportionately, even like these, you know, lifestyle diets that people talk about, they leave us in a worse place in both from a mental health and a physical health perspective. And so we have to look at like, what's the intention for them going on that diet in the first place and really start to pull that apart and heal that in addition to creating that peaceful relationship 
but those two can happen simultaneously. And so um, this is this is where we get to go into the body image piece of it and start to challenge, okay, well, why is it that you want to lose weight, right? Um, and for a lot of people, at least a lot of the clients that I work with, there's, there's two reasons. Either um, one is like, desirability or worth or love, right? Like I want to know that I'm, I'm worthy and I want to know that I'm desirable and I want to know that I fit in with the world around me. Right. And then the other one is health, right? So if we look at just first and foremost health, because that's one that like, Oh, we got to start talking about the fact that weight is actually a poor indicator of health, right? Science has confirmed this BMI has been debunked many times at this point as, um, a measure of health that was, uh, strictly based on white men's bodies not taking into account people of color, not taking into account women's bodies. And it was never meant to be an individual measure of health. It was meant to be a, um, a collective member, uh, measure of health, right? So looking at a, a group of people versus an individual. So it, it was also created by a mathematician and an astronomer, right. not a nutritionist <laughs> or a doctor, right? right? So like, let's just call Nobody that knows that. <laughs> Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. Um, and so, and and then there's so much emerging research that's showing that people who live in, uh, in larger bodies live just as long, if not longer than people in smaller bodies. And in fact, the, the category of people, if we use the BMI scale that have the worst health outcomes are people who are in the underweight category. Yes. But no one wants to talk about that. Right. So like, let's really look at and challenge from a health perspective, weight and health are not the same thing. Right. And as I mentioned before, dieting actually leads to worse health outcomes. So if health is really your goal, there's ways to pursue that in a way that are, is, is super nourishing and super supportive to your goal of health without putting yourself into a place of restriction, which we can talk about that. But then on the other hand, like that's the health piece of it. But then the, the desirability, the lovability, the do I fit in? Am I worthy as a woman piece of it? Oh, that one. That one takes some time to deconstruct because we're taught this from such a young age, right? These are good bodies and these are bad bodies. And, you know, you're not going to receive this, you know, the, the love or the, the appreciation or the promotion. You're not going to be able to wear the clothes that you want to wear or have the spouse that you want to have if you don't look like this. Yep. And so a lot of this work is really about challenging that and really getting clear on, you know, where does that come from? Is that actually true for you? One of my favorite questions to ask, to have my clients ask themselves when they're learning how to build what, what I call body image resilience, right? Is to ask themselves the question, like who profits from me feeling this way about myself, right? Who is profiting right now? Um, or who says, who says that this, having that like a belly or having cellulite or whatever it is, um, is bad, right? Who's saying that? Is that actually true for me? Or is that something that I've inherited from somebody else? So the body image piece of it is, is, is so, so, so key um, when it comes to uh, taking care of our bodies, because, you know, studies have actually shown that people who have a, a healthy sense of a healthy body image actually tend to take better care of themselves. Mm. That's, that's really interesting. And I think, I think it's something, something important for people to understand is if it's, if you don't get a handle on this, it, it, it's just, it's going to wreck your life. You know, like, yeah. just, like I think about, cause I started having poor body image thoughts at eight years old mm-hmm. and which is so young. And it breaks my heart to think about that for my younger self. And as I've worked on that, what I'm seeing pop up now is 
I'm aging. My skin mm -hmm. is changing. The mm -hmm. elasticity is changing. Mm -hmm. I look different. I'm a little more jiggly <laughs> when yeah. I run. Yeah. I feel it. Cause I, I, I love, I love walking and joyful movement. It's a huge part of self-care, but all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, Oh, wow. Wait, where things used to be like more muscle now, but what I'm trying to do is rewrite what I'm telling myself and going, okay, yes. this is part of the aging process. Like, mm -hmm. have I ever seen an 80 year old? That's not, re I mean, unless it's somebody that's all plastic or whatever, <laughs> but like, this is just part of it. And if I don't accept this now, like I'm going to waste so much emotional energy, mental mm -hmm. energy when it's keeping me from my purpose, you know? And so if it's not one thing, it's going to be another thing. And so I think hand taking care of these things as soon as you can and getting to the root of that is way more important than any short-term diet than you can, that you could ever be on, you know? Oh, oh. There, there's so, so much truth in, in what you just said. I actually, um, in, in my work, uh, with my business partner, I have a business partner and we, we run group coaching programs together. We talk about the work of, of body image healing as legacy work, right? Like what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Is it, you know, when you're sitting in your rocker, if you live to the, like the ripe old age of 99 and you're this like, you know, awesome old lady sitting in a rocker, like when you reflect back on your life, do you want people to celebrate you or do you want to celebrate yourself because, you know, you, you had a six pack through all stages of life, <laughs> or you never let uh, an ounce of sugar pass your lips, or, you know, you were so praised for your external beauty. Again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having a six pack or having external beauty by any means. It's just like, is that what you want to be remembered for? Right. Or do you want to be remembered as the person who showed up for her community, who was committed to her, her, her purpose and her passion, who was a loving and present wife, friend, mother, um, you know, who cared about her community. Like, what are the things that you actually want? Like, what do you want your legacy to be, right? My guess is that you don't want it to be about all of these external factors, right? Because I, I believe the way you look, it's, it's, in, it's an important piece of you because it's how people recognize you. And it's also at the same time, the least interesting thing about you. Like there's so <laughs> many aspects of you, right. That are worth celebrating, that are worth acknowledging, that are, that are worth um, putting your energy towards beyond just trying to make sure that you stay visually appealing through the male gaze. Yes. And that's, and that, again, it's just rewriting what we were taught from a very young age, watching Cinderella, watching mm -hmm. all of these things, but I, I do want to get into, um, I, I think it's hard for a certain population of women, which is probably a lot of women who have experienced any kind of sexual trauma, mm. um, abuse in that way, or maybe just bullying or just all the, any kind of assault, whether it's verbally or physical or whatever, it, it's hard for us to be present in our bodies. Oof. And so how do you help women through, how can you be grateful for something that's betrayed you, you know, or something you feel shame about? Mm -hmm. Where do you go with that? Mm. Oh my goodness. This is, this is such an important question because you're right. Our, as each individual person's access to embodiment, right. Living in our bodies or our ability to have appreciation for our bodies is going to be different based on, again, all of those intersecting factors, trauma, abuse, all of those things. Like when there's been direct assault on your body, or if you're someone who struggles with chronic illness, it can feel like your body is betraying you in many ways. And so I just want to affirm that like, 
um, that being in a place of body gratitude or acceptance of your body, let's not make that into another stick to measure yourself with. Right. So like, this is not, um, another expectation that you be so in love with your body and so accepting of your body. Like that's not, (laughs) that's not what this work is about. Um, and, and what I would say first and foremost is like, you know what, like, I'm, I'm sorry that, that that's happened to you. If you were somebody who's had that experience, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. And the place that, uh, depending on that person's unique experience, I would of course want to make sure that they're getting the appropriate mental health and trauma therapy that they need for that specific experience. That that's definitely outside of my scope of practice. And I have worked with people who have had that experience and it's about starting really, really small, right? If you, so there's different entry points to this work. This is what, what I, what I talk about a lot with them in my homecoming program that I run with my business partner, that there's different entry points to this work, right? There's the, the gratitude, right? There's the, um, neutrality, there's respect, there's like, there's love, there's acceptance. There's all of these different entry points that one can have to uh, reconnecting to their body. Um, And I would say like the most entry level entry point would be respect, right? Like, okay, I might not be able to accept. I might not be able to like, I might not be able to actually feel comfortable being in my body right now, right? But I can respect that this is the human being that's moving me through this life because our bodies are human beings, contrary to what society would want us to think. Our society wants us to think that we're objects, that we're it's right. But no, our bodies are people, right? Like that's why I relate to my body as a she, my body is, is her. It's not it. Um, and, and really coming from this place of like, okay, because my body is a person and it is inherently true that all persons are worthy and deserving of respect. Can I just start with, okay, I respect you, right? And however that manifests is, might be unique to that individual person, but I would start from, from that place. And, and then the, the other piece of this, and again, this would, this would come with a lot of work either with, you know, an, um, a trauma healing therapist or an, in, in conjunction with, you know, work around body image and things like that. But also knowing that, you know, at some point, like if we're not living in our bodies, at least part of the time, we're not fully alive. And so the work is about how do we mend that relationship with our bodies? How do we start to build a more trusting partnership with our bodies so that we can live in them from a place of, of peace and acceptance for, for what they've carried with us and, and through us throughout our lives. That's good. Yeah. And I mean, and to that acknowledging hunger signals and going back to the pleasure principle, that's a huge step for people mm-hmm. who are told to deny, 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 you know, don't, you're not hungry, just drink more water or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, yes. part of respecting our body is listening to mm-hmm. those natural signals. So what would you say to somebody who, you know, is listening to this and going, okay, I hear this, but I feel really out of control with food. Like you say to eat a cookie, you say to acknowledge my, my hug, hunger signals and allow myself pleasure, but I've got a box of Girl Scout cookies at my house and I want just one thin mint. And all of a sudden I found myself eating a whole sleeve. What do you, what do you say to somebody who's struggling with that? <laughs> oh yeah. So this is something, this is going to sound counterintuitive to many people that struggle with this because uh, the way that 
again, we've, most people have been taught to deal with the experience of eating past the point of fullness or binging or overeating or whatever it might be is to continue to use restriction, right? So how can you restrict that thing? How can you, you know, put the lock on the cupboard or not buy the thing or hide it or whatever it is, right? So that you don't binge on it. But what all that serves is making that food more of a scarce resource. And again, because our bodies are so wise and it's built into our survival that any food that our bodies perceive as a scarce resource, our bodies are going to do what they can to get them, right? Mm -hmm. Out of control behaviors, cravings, binges, things like that are more often than not in reaction to a self-induced restriction, right? So it sounds really counterintuitive, But the answer to that or the anecdote to that experience is to give yourself unconditional permission to eat that food, right? And unconditional permission to eat that food literally means I can eat that food when I want it, however I want it, and how much I want, right? This will terrify people who have experiences with binging or eating past the point of fullness or feeling out of control with food because it's like, it literally feels like you're surrendering the control, right? But the control actually isn't working. The control is actually what's causing you to have those out of control experiences. <laughs> and so what unconditional permission to eat does is that it allows your breath, your body to take a breath and be like, ah, oh. it calms your nervous system. And it says, oh my God, this food is available to me whenever I want it, right? She's not going to take it away from me. I can have this whenever I want it. Food is just food right? I'm allowed to eat this food. And from that place, it allows you to make that choice for your body from a much more calm and centered and grounded place that leads to uh, probably having a much more peaceful relationship with food and that specific food, the more you practice this. Yeah. And and just that stress response, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned the nervous system, the fact that you are taking your body out of fight or flight, (laughs) Mm-hmm. And exactly that's it. going to improve your digestion of the food yep. as well. So mm-hmm. these people that maybe, oh, I've, I've got all these digestive issues and I, I, you know, can't go to the bathroom or I go too much or after I eat, I just feel sick. How much of that is your mind telling you, you just ate something that's awful, horrible. Mm-hmm. You're a bad person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're consuming that. If that's the energetic state that you're going into the eating experience with, like you're consuming that on some level. So yeah, it will absolutely like that brain body connection is so, so strong and it will absolutely impact how that food is being metabolized and digested in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now what about these messages that we get certain times of the year, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's January and you know, everybody's doing whole 30 or maybe it's, uh, let's see, like May or we're entering summer and we got to get our summer bodies. Like how do we combat these things when we know, oh, we really want to perfect our body for summer and have that bathing suit body and fix some things, but going to that place isn't healthy for us, but it's, it's so hard to get out of what is habitual for Mm -hmm. years and years of, oh, I'm doing my summer body diet. Like how do we address that? Yeah. Oof. Yes. So I would say like, just start by challenging it. Start by like asking yourself, like, what is a summer body? Like, what does that even mean? Who has a summer body? Right. Cause the truth is, is that all bodies exist in summer 
right? So all bodies are summer bodies. Um, that's the first place I would go is like, again, really starting to build that resilience to those messages and, and challenging those voices that come up for you. And, you know, it's like, it's that like the definition of insanity, right? Is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So it's like, let's, let's start to look at that too. Like I've done this over and over and over again, every summer comes around for me. It was, um, this is a year I'm going to get my thighs toned so I can wear shorts. I want to wear shorts. I want to look cute in shorts. I'm going to get my thighs toned so I can wear shorts. Never happened because these are just my thighs. Right? Like my thighs are my thighs. They're going to have, they have, they're cellulating and they're bumpy. Like it's just what, what they are. And they always have been. And so for me, the work was like, okay, I am going to give myself permission to wear shorts regardless of what my thighs look like. And I'm going to find the right shorts for my body. I'm going to find the shorts that feel really good and they don't like pinch me or they're too tight or they're uncomfortable and they draw attention to to parts of my body in a way that make me feel bad. Right. I'm going to find the shorts that feel really comfortable to me because my body also deserves to be comfortable. Um, To focus again, if we bring it back to pleasure on, wow, how enjoyable and pleasurable is it to go to the beach and be in that sunshine and play in the waves and be with your friends to focus again on your body is having an experience versus your body just being this thing that everyone's attention is on all the time because chances are people aren't even noticing it to begin with we just think they are (laughs) and so yeah again it's really about challenging those voices, focusing on the experience that your body is having versus um, your body just being in this, in like this thing that people are supposed to be looking at. Um, And, you know, I, I think like it really just comes back to remembering like our inherent sense of worth, like you are worthy and deserving of having the the life and the experiences that you want to have now, not some arbitrary time in the future when your body matches up to the experience. It's like, no, you deserve to have that now. And can you again, give yourself permission to do that? Yeah. Yeah. That the experience part of it, I think that that's so important. And I haven't thought about it in that way before, like focusing on the experience instead of what I look like in the experience, you know, Um, I I think, and something I want to address too is, is number obsession. Mm. So I haven't weighed myself for, it's been over a year and a half now, which has been a really, really big deal for me. Not that I ever, I never liked that number. It always Mm -hmm. either, you know, it, it, would ruin my day either way. It would make me think, oh, I'm doing great. What can I do more? Or, you know, it would put me in that bad headspace just from the get go. So it was never helpful for me. But then you can easily exchange one number obsession for another. There's also the size obsession. Like, oh no, I'm typically this size. Now I need to get this size. Like what's happening. And, and, you know, every store you go to, it's good. The sizing is going to be different no matter I mean that. And that's ridiculous too. We've got I mean, I can be three different sizes depending on where I go, Um, Uh but, but that's really hard. We can get really numbers obsessed or measuring Mm -hmm. obsessed, like say, oh, I'm not going to weigh myself, but, but I'm going to measure, you know, Mm -hmm. how do we get out of, out of that? Like do, or is even mirror obsession? Like we just get so neurotic about these numbers and how we look, I guess you probably already said it. Like it starts from doing the work ahead of time, but what's, what's a quick, easy, well, complicated. I guess it's not ever quick and easy, but like just the number of session, how can we start to get past that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's two things, two directions. I want to take this. 
the first one I like not I can't I, I make no guarantees but I have seen the effects of making this one simple shift in how we relate to our bodies and how that impacts um, things like number obsession and treating our bodies like objects. If you can start to remember, your body is a human being. Your body is a person. Your body is not a math equation, right? Your body is a person. And she is wise. And she knows where she wants to be. And she is, uh, you know, the, the, the person who is leading you through this life, right? When we look at our bodies from that perspective, it becomes easier to look at our bodies from a place of compassion, grace, humanity, right? We actually start to relate to our bodies as we would to a dear friend or a partner, what would you say to a partner who was measuring themselves and you know, hopping on the scale several times a day and beating themselves up for that number? Start to relate to your body as a human being and, and you will slowly start to shift how you are talking about her and how you are, um, yeah, measuring her worth. The other piece of this, again, I'm gonna come back. I feel like I've said the words like challenge so many times because it, it's such a big part of the work that I do with my clients is really starting to challenge those voices. When we looked, we already talked about you know, BMI and, and weight not being an indicator of health. But when we look at things like sizing in stores, you touched on it a little bit in terms of going into one store versus another, you might be an eight in one store and a 14 in another store. And there's no reason why. There's a thing called vanity sizing. Stores actually know that if they size their items so that you perceive yourself as smaller, you'll buy more clothes from them. So look at that. Look at the psychological manipulation that's happening and know from that place that <laughs> numbers and sizes like that are completely arbitrary, oftentimes being used to manipulate you. The other piece of this having worked in fashion for, for many years and, you know, being a part of fit, fit meetings and seeing the models that come in to um, do fits, right? And they would do a fit with a pair of jeans or a top or whatever it is. And seeing this fit model and being like, oh, that is not what my body looks like, right? That, that woman's body is the quote unquote ideal body. And what they do is they take her measurements, whether she's like a two or a four, and they, they grade up or grade down based on her exact measurements. So they don't take into account different hip sizes and thigh sizes and all of those different types of things. And you know what? Let's remember that there's what? 7.5 billion different people on the planet, right? 7.5 billion different bodies exist. And the clothes that are being made are often being made off of one person's body, right? So let's remember that we aren't all meant to look the same, contrary to popular belief, right? Our, our world thrives off of diversity. We're all meant to look and be different, not this like homogeneous, you know, collective of people. Like we're all meant to be different. So remember that these numbers are arbitrary. They mean nothing about you. And the person's body that they were being made for is not your body. We don't have custom-made clothes anymore, unfortunately, because everything is mass-produced. And, and so that's the, 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 the fallout of that. 
Yeah. And I think even if everybody ate the same diet every day for a year, your body's going to look different. A thousand percent. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's something we forget about. And I, you know, when I was first trying to like process my own body image issues, and I remember looking at, it was my kids were playing with some other kids their age and looking at just like these little six and seven-year-old girls and realizing even at that age, they're totally different shapes and sizes yep. and they're going to grow into, and it's always kind of funny because I think about like with my own kids, what are they going to look like when they're older? You know, how are they going to change? Are they going to be short or tall or what? You know, I start wondering, but even in my three kids, totally different body structures, shapes, like it, it's, it's crazy how, you know, same, similar genes, we don't have exact same, but it shows up so differently. And I think mm -hmm. that we give ourselves a hard time for not being whatever. Cause like, I realized for me, it wasn't necessarily weight. That was my issue it was my shape. I had issues mm. with my shape. You can't mm. change that. Nope. You, know? you can't, you really, really can't. <laughs> and it's, it's a diversity thing. It's accepting the diversity of my body, that it's not what I think I should have, but it is uniquely mine. Yes. And it's, it sounds like that's what you're saying is just accepting that I am unique to all of the other 7.5 billion people. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that we need to just sit in that and be grateful yes. for that. Yes. Yes. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. Instead of all trying to work to be this like one avatar of what uh, the ideal woman should be that changes every five years. Right? It totally it's does. Yeah. Possible. Butts were out. Now they're in boobs yeah. were out. Now they're out or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're always changing our, it's the athletic mm -hmm. type. No, it's a really skinny stick type. I mean, like mm -hmm. it, it is always, there's an awesome book. I wonder if you've read it. I don't even remember. I wish I knew if I figured out, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's, it's the history of dieting from like the late 1800s until mm. now. I think mm. it was written though early 2000s. So, you know, there's still a lot to go. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And it's fascinating. And it's really, it's the adolescent teen experience with her body throughout mm. history. And I was so fascinated by the fact that in the early 1900s, girls would be sent away to finishing school or wherever they'd go. And their moms, they would report back to their moms. I'm, I'm gaining weight. This is so wonderful. They're feeding me so well and I'm gaining weight and it's great. And their moms are like, awesome way to fatten up, you know, like, and it was this great thing. It was part of growing. It was part of developing. It's part of being a woman because mm. that's what women's bodies do, you know? Yep. Um, and then all of a sudden when movies came out, when movies first came around, we realized there's that one set image. Oh, I got to live up to that image. And before that girls didn't really look in the mirror. They just saw, Oh, I'm, I'm getting weight because I'm eating food. And yep. all of a sudden it changed. And yep. so it's just, it's, there's never going to be a right body or a right fit, but you are, you have to, and what was that that I read in the beginning, you said, be happy or not even happy, but what was live the life you desire in the body you're in today? That yes. That's it. Live the life you desire. Like, like life is happening now. We suffer so much from this idea of one day thinking, whether that is in our relationship to our body or in other, any other aspect of our life. Like I'm not confident enough, or I don't have the relationship or whatever it is. Like this, there's something that we cover in our homecoming program. It's this concept of, of be, do, have versus have, do, be. Our culture operates from a place of have, do, be, right? Meaning once I have the ideal body, then I'll take action. That action might be going out on the dating website or asking for the promotion or wearing the clothes that you want to wear, right? And then I'll be worthy. Then I'll be enough. Then I'll be valuable. Then I'll be confident in myself. And this work and the invitation here is to, to actually flip that entirely on its head and to start from the place of, of be, 
to start from a place of I'm inherently good. I am inherently enough. I am inherently worthy and really start from that solid foundation. Like my self-worth is, is inherent to me. It is rock solid and allow that to inspire action, inspire action, meaning in the way that you care for your body in the way that you move in the way that you nourish her in the way that you sleep and rest in the way that you do set boundaries and ask for your needs to be met and, and, you know, declare like I am worthy of that promotion or express yourself through fashion. And then from that place that leads you to the have, and more often than not, the have has very little to do with suddenly having the ideal body, but, but more, um, from a place of, of, I am like fulfilled in my life right? I am, I'm satisfied with the life that I'm living. I am content. I am joyful, right? Like to have that again, like if we go back to like this being legacy work, the have is like, I get fulfillment and joy in my life, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Versus the have is like, oh, I, I have the ideal body. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So tell us a little bit, since we're finishing up, tell everyone a little bit about your programs and what you offer and your website and all of that, because it, I think that this would resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So I run a group coaching program. It's an eight month group coaching program called homecoming. It is for highly driven women who are ready to make peace with their body and food so that they can play big in their lives. And I run that with my business partner, Julie Olamacher. It is our, our baby that we birthed into the world in 2020. And it's been such a powerful program and we offer it once a year. So the next one is getting started in early March. Uh, I know this is going to be coming out in April, but we, um, we will run this program again, starting in 2022, which is wild to think about, but we also, with that, we offer, um, you know, uh, quarterly retreats and things like that. If you head to my Instagram, which is just holly.toronto, I update about this stuff all the time. That would probably be the best way to, to get a hold of me there, um, and to kind of hear what's, what's happening, um, in my world. I, I do work with private coaching clients as well. So if group coaching isn't your thing, I do privates and, and that will be opening up again in April. Actually, my private coaching practice will be opening again in April. And, and yeah, I would say if you are curious about the idea of, of deepening into your relationship with your body and building partnership with your body, a really great place to start is with my body gratitude meditation which is a 10 minute meditation that also includes journaling prompts that take you deeper again into that partnership and starting to relate to your body as a person, not an object. And if you go to my Instagram, again, holly.toronto and just go to the link in my bio, you can find that body gratitude meditation there. That's awesome. And I will link as much of these things as I can in the show notes for anybody listening. And I, I, that sounds awesome. I'm, I'm excited about um, just connecting with you and learning what you do. And I, I think that you offer so much wisdom and, and help for what I think a lot of women are struggling with. And that's just finding that peace with the body that they have and that they're living in today. And so I just thank you so much for being part of the show and, and offering that. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Erin. This was such a wonderful conversation. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, 
you can leave a nice review. I like those.